Welcome to a new episode of the Riyadh podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Khurma, director of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center. We switch gears today to zoom into the mental health space in Jordan and the MENA region in commemoration of Mental Health Awareness Month. According to a 2018 global study, the Middle East region suffers from one of the highest rates of depression, anxiety disorders, as well as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and unfortunately, suicide. Adding that there's also a lack of awareness about mental health, limited mental health services, as well as stigmatization around speaking openly or addressing mental health concerns. Our guest today is Tal Al-Kurd, a psychotherapist in Jordan and also host of the monthly podcast, Yalla Nehki, which translates to Let's Talk, which really aims to increase awareness and demystify concepts around mental health. Tala, thank you so much for joining us today. This is my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. So Tala, tell us a little bit more about your journey as a psychotherapist, and then we'll get into why the podcast. But um, what sort of drew you in uh, the world of psychotherapy? Well, my story is going to make me sound a little bit old, but which I'm not. But my story did uh, start the day I went to the American University of Beirut, being accepted to a business degree. I went to register my courses and I had known, you know, this is a time where Internet was not a thing. So it's not something that I, you know, these um, subjects or fields were not very popular. So I didn't have the chance to kind of research the topic more. But I've heard bits and pieces from here and there, people studying abroad about this field of psychology that always intrigued me. Uh, so I got accepted to the business school as I was in at university trying to register for my foundation courses. Um, I decided right there and then this is what I wanted to do and this is what I'm going to do. So after registering my courses, I called my dad. Uh, and you know how it is in the Middle East. And then I told him in hindsight, oh, by the way, I'm not doing business anymore. So I shifted to psychology and my journey started the day I took the introduction to psychology course. And then I just started falling in love with every course that I took. And uh, little did I know then, but it ended up being my life's mission. So when you said um, you called your dad and you had to break the news, what was the reaction on the other end? Uh, there was a long pause. <laughs> but then I think there's nothing he could have done because I was there. He was still Naman. And then he was like, God bless you and God be with you. So do whatever makes you feel happy. So I guess with time, he got to understand why I went into this course in terms of how important it is. And, and he, he actually saw this growing. So he's very proud of it right now. I'm sure he is. Mm -hmm. So um, when you say that you started, you know, falling in love more and more with psychotherapy um, and, you know, we mentioned earlier that this is, there's stigma around mental health issues, um, psychotherapy in general, uh, seeing, you know, if you're seeing a psychotherapist um, in Jordan or other parts of the Middle East, you don't talk about it as openly. Mm -hmm. um, so what is it that um, caught your attention and why why were you different than others in in sort of moving into that field? 
Well, there's a typical cliche story of me uh, being told that you're a good listener, people like coming up to you and talking to you about your problems. But there's always that intrigue in me to observe people, their behavior, and try to understand why they behave the way they do, uh, looking at patterns in societies and cultures and how that impacts behavior was always something that intrigued me. I mean, uh, given that we are from the Middle East and being exposed to others from different other cultures, the difference was always so interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that really made me uh, learn more about that. So the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. Uh, and that's the thing about psychology, because it relates so much to life, so much to everyday life whether it's to me or the people around me. And I could actually make sense of things more and more as I went deeper into the courses. I thought definitely this is the course that I want to continue doing. Take into mind that when I started, the internet was not a big thing again. So mm -hmm. it's not like people were very aware of information or what the subject is. So it was quite a challenge to begin with. When I came to Jordan and I started my practice at a very young age, I was among the youngest psychotherapists in town. Um, mm -hmm. And people didn't really understand the difference between psychotherapy and psychiatry coming from a very medical background. It was people mistaken me for, for someone who prescribes medication. Uh, and it took a lot of time for me to try to convince the people around me that I'm a therapist. I'm what you call a talk therapist, a talk uh, uh, you know, we, we do talk therapy as opposed to medicine. So that was interesting to see. So just by the fact that the people around me um, started understanding the difference really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm paving the way, I'm creating change, you know. Uh, and then I started working with a psychiatrist where in the past it was something extremely new to have a psychiatrist and a therapist working together, or at least you won't find a lot of psychiatrists working with therapists. Because uh, during my master's degree, when I was doing it in London, I had to do my dissertation and interview a lot of people from the region. And, and I had interviewed several psychiatrists, Marissa, and one of them actually told me, oh, so you're coming back to take my job. I see. So, so it was interesting that the psychiatrists themselves didn't really believe in this idea of therapy. Uh, but then I saw that evolve and grow. And then I ended up working with a psychiatrist. And now it's really nice to see that psychiatrists and therapists works hand in hand. And most psychiatrists have psychotherapists in their team. So it's more of a multidisciplinary approach, which I think mm -hmm. is fantastic. So how, how has the sector evolved from your vantage point? I mean, you've already described how you started off and then, you know, started to see a difference in people's um, reactions and reception to the idea. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe the mental health, you know, space or sector in Jordan, for example? Well, when I started off, I was one of the youngest. So, I'm, I mean, there were like people who were experienced, people who've been in the field for longer than I have in terms of you know, uh, the education sector of university degrees, teaching psychology. But um, I mean, yes, I was, I, I've noticed a change. The things have evolved, right? Uh, people were very skeptic about the, the whole uh, concept of therapy because, you know, the word majnoon in Arabic or in Arabic really means crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and someone who seeks mental health services is considered majnoon. Right. right? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, and actually the word majnoon, one of 
an exp one explanation of where it comes from is because for the longest period of time, people thought it's uh, someone who's been, um, what do you call it, um, taken over by a, a, a genie, you know? For, yeah. for, so basically lost control of his behavior. He's he's not responsible anymore and he's just crazy. Um, but things have evolved ever since I've started because people were becoming more uh, aware of the idea that the service actually exists. Uh, people would actually comfortably seek a psychiatrist. I've seen that because when people come into the psychiatry at the beginning, when I used to work with a psychiatrist, in in the waiting room, I'd see people that I know and they would pretend that they don't know me. Because for them, it's very shameful to be put in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. But with time, I, now I see people walking in the streets. And then when they see me, they come up to me and say hi to me. So it, it's, it's moved very differently. The whole energy of, of being a therapist changed with time because there's people that still choose not to acknowledge you as the therapist, because that means it implies that they're seeking therapy. And there are right. people who are very comfortable with it and they can end up inviting you to social events and their weddings. And, 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 and. So, so society has changed in that perspective. So people are more comfortable with the idea. People seek therapists more often now. I see a lot of people talking about it. I see a lot of the new generation seeking therapists help for their children. Uh, for issues related to their relationships. So I see people more open. I know it's not as optimistic as it sounds, but I'm hopeful that it's going in the right direction. I know I still believe that our society still has that percentage that are still not there, but I know with time they will be. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, the new generation, and that was going to be my next question, um, that there is a shift uh, I guess that you see across generations. Is there also a difference between, I guess, you know, where you live? Because there is an issue of, of access to such services. Um, so how would you describe some of these divides in terms of accessibility and then acceptance? Absolutely. Uh, accessibility is in the availability of services. Most of the services that are available and in reach of people are more private. Uh, the more public ones are more medically oriented. So you'd find a lot of, um, I worked with the World Health Organization and the Ministry of Health on establishing uh, mini clinics for mental health uh, services uh, many years ago. Uh, that's how Across it started. Jordan? Across Jordan. And, okay. and we tried to work on building psychosocial supports uh, in in addition to the psychiatric uh, support, uh, but you always find the psychiatric clinics fully bombarded with with uh, clients, while the therapies uh, clinics are not so popular. Um, although we try to work for um, increasing the accessibility through providing more than one hub around the country, um, so accessibility is one, and awareness and education is another one. Um, yeah. it, it's it's very different, right? Because in, in some parts of society where education is more privately delivered, people are more um, exposed to different Western cultures, let's say, um, have developed more understanding of the service, the need to take care of themselves, develop, uh, work on issues that they might be facing. So accessibility is definitely higher. And you would see more work done on that group or that that area. Mm -hmm. And there's the other sect uh, in our society that has been developing 
largely, which is the refugee sect, which has become a very huge part of our social construct because of everything that the world's going through. So um, that's where all the international organization attention has been you know, uh, channeled to. So you would find a lot of services being given to that uh, sect, whether it is all these different types of alternative therapies that most of the local people are not exposed to. And and yeah, that's and, where all of this started, yeah. And, and thank you for um, uh, bringing attention to this uh, because I've, I've seen this in the Zaatari refugee camp Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and as well as other schools, particularly amongst children mm-hmm. who crossed the border way back in 2011, in 2012, and 2013, those who are born in you know in the refugee camps or in urban centers uh, or in host communities may have a different experience. Um, how how do you think um, this? support that is being lent to refugee communities in Jordan and elsewhere in the region um, is actually being addressed? Is it, is it um, more international organizations that are um, sort of, you know, um, prioritizing it? Is, is the government aware that this is a part, a huge part of the solution? Because this is not a, as you said, this is not a technical thing that you can just address very quickly. It's really mm-hmm. a long-term um, effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, t- to be honest with you, it is more highlighted by international organizations and most of the programs delivered in these uh, refugee camps are from international WHO, uh, UNICEF, uh, United Nations, uh, CARE, Save the Children, you name it. Mm -hmm. They all have programs that are highlighting um, refugees and and problems with refugees. Um, And and to be honest with you, in terms of the government, I don't see the clear role of the government in that. Um, from our perspective, uh, I be- well, we're going to probably at some point talk more about uh, where we think the gaps are in terms of the delivery yes. of such services, right? But yeah, I think it's mostly international organizations uh, and they have the huge focus on, on refugee camps. So they're, they're, they're doing all these different programs that are enhancing the development of, of uh, the services that are being given. They're supporting it. Uh, unfortunately, I always feel like there's no follow-up to that. So it's really project-based. So mm-hmm. that consistency sometimes can affect the, effective, the effectiveness of the services being delivered. Um, and we know that in the past couple of years with COVID hitting, a lot of the organizations really lacking the funds to do that has affected a lot of the programs that have already shut because they can't you know, sustain uh, what they're doing, new ones popping up, smaller ones trying to, you know, compete for the same services. So it's a bit chaotic on that level. Yeah, and as you said, the uh, project basis format mm. uh, does not really work towards the long-term uh, aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned um, the existing gaps. You also talked about, um, you know, awareness and education. And in addition to your private practice and your podcast, you also have um, you also have a role um, at the Amman Baccalaureate School mm-hmm. 
as the psychotherapist there. So I was wondering if you can shed light on to um, basically, you know, therapy in the education sector, how it is perceived and whether you also see elements of this in the public sector or public education. Let me best to clarify a little bit, uh, Tumors. I, I actually work at the Mambacore School. I've been working there for about 10 years now. I've already been a student there for most of my life. And I went back to uh, work there after 14 years of uh, clinical practice because I felt the gap. I felt the level of awareness in, in the culture and in society. Um, really considering where the root of the problem was. And I thought education really plays an important role because our kids don't grow with this concept of, you know, self-development, emotional control, emotional regulation. Um, You know, this whole idea of psychology is not a concept that we've grew up with. Even though I was in the same school, it was never given to us as a subject, right? So I actually went back to Mambakuri School, not as a therapist, not as a counselor. I'm back and I teach IB psychology. Okay. So uh, I'm a teacher there. uh, And I can tell you one thing about the nature of the field within the school. I mean, I remember the days when I was in school and somebody would tell you, you need to go see the counselor. Mm -hmm. And we'd had all these funny stereotypical names for the counselors in school because it was always, you know, you don't want to be seen coming out of the counselor's office. Right now, if, if I tell you about the atmosphere of the counselor office in school, I'll tell you it's like a common room where people, where all the students like to hang out, talk to, to the counselor all the time, take appointments. She's, she barely has time to, you know, uh, scratch her head because she's always on top of uh, these uh, kids' issues and academic concerns and, 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 and. So it has become a norm. Uh, it has uh, infiltrated into the culture quite nicely. So it hasn't, it's less of a taboo, absolutely more of something that we all need to sit and talk to a counselor every once in a while. Having said that and having seen that change and, and really being proud of that change, this is a private school we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And this is not representative of Jordan maybe two, three percent of the Jordanian population. But if we look at the counseling systems across public schools, then we have a huge concern there uh, in the sense that a lot of work needs to be done. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot going on, right? I mean, nobody's really aware of every single thing that's going on. But the fact that we don't know what's going on in each other's uh, fields and in practices concerns me because we should all be working together towards a common goal, which is alleviating the whole field, whether it's counselors, psychologists, clinical psychologists, psychotherapists, art therapists, music therapists, we're all delivering different services, but we have one mission and one goal, and that's that's well-being, and that's uh, developing mental health. Absolutely. And speaking of um, mental health awareness, uh your podcast, Yalla Nahki, uh, is really very much about that. It's about raising awareness and just normalizing talking about mental health. Um, so tell us a little bit about why you decided to do this um, and uh, what you've been hearing. You know, what's the feedback so far? Um I'm I'm I love podcasts. I've always loved podcasts. I love to listen to them while I'm driving, while I'm walking. So the idea of podcasts have been playing in my head for a long time. Uh, the idea of uh, picking up the courage to actually start my own 
was, uh, it took some time, but I managed to do it, especially that I found the right people to mentor me and help me and supervise me. One of them, which is Zaymat. So I'm very grateful for him forever. Um, and then there's uh, Rajai who helps me set things up for the podcast. So it made the logistics quite easier because I didn't know how to start or where to start from. Knowing that not a lot of people are into podcasts. But after I started doing my podcasts interviews, uh, I noticed that there are so many people that do listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. But my my first aim of this was to bring two things that I really enjoyed, podcasting and mental health, and mm-hmm. to make it more of something that you would listen to in your car, walking around. And I really wanted it to be in Arabic. I've never thought I'd ever be in good command of Arabic until I started recording my interviews. And people came up to me like, wow, your Arabic is so amazing. And and that was always beautiful to hear, unexpected. My mom's very surprised. She was very surprised to know it was in Arabic. Uh, but it's more of the Arabic-English lingo that's more, that's, a, that's the language you hear on the streets, basically, or some of the streets of Amman. But it is mostly Arabic. And the aim of it is to make the outreach higher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's the aim. That's the the vision of where I would like it to go. Because bringing up topics, talking about it, bringing an expert to discuss it, really uh, will just make it a normal conversation like the one we're having right now. Absolutely. Um, and so, what are some of the um, uh, what what's some of the feedback that you've received from people about Yalla Nehki? Um, well, there are two kinds of uh, feedback that you get on podcasts. Maybe you can agree with me on this. The first time you release the podcast and you you tell people, especially because this is my little project, so it's not like I'm partnering with anyone. This is mine. Um, everybody was so excited, very encouraging. Oh, my God, this is so much needed. You know, it was all excitement and there was a hype around it. But now I feel like people are actually trying to say, so when's our next topic? What are, you, what are you going to talk about next? And I had people share Instagram posts with me where they'd say, where can I call and, and, uh, and share my issue? What, where can I you know, message you and tell you about my problem? So although I didn't want to open it to be a conversational one with, with uh, live sessions, but maybe that's something I will grow into slowly. But it's I have to look into the legalities of that. But you, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm getting great feedback about it. A lot of people are asking for more episodes and more experts to talk about different topics. And now we're planning our uh, second season, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how I want the blueprint to go and what kind of experts I want to bring on board. Um, I was attending a conference this weekend with Mind Valley. If you've heard of them. And I, I met. Not. I, it's a it's a huge self development uh, platform. So they had okay. their biggest uh, conference this year in the Dead Sea in Jordan, and uh, I got to meet great speakers in the field of confidence, body language, mental health, and all that. And and I've got them lined up for my interview. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Um, so, what are some of the topics that uh, you chose for the first season? that you would consider tough topics to talk about, but then you broke the barrier with with your podcast? Well, the first one is to actually talk about what mental health is, because Mm -hmm. there were so many misconceptions about the idea of what it is and what kind of services we have in the country, because we're not claiming that the center that I work with is the only center. There's so many different centers and they do beautiful things, but 
so many different things. So uh, shedding light on the idea that there's so many people out there that can help, all you need to do is reach out. That was very interesting for me to to bring out. Then we talked about grief. And I thought that was an interesting one to tackle. Very tough one to tackle. But uh, by interviewing um, Rania Atallah on it, it was... uh, it was. I think it did a great job uh, in highlighting the need for for talking about grief and actually, you know, uh, breaking the stigma around it and 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 uh, going through um, how to help other people who are going through grief. The anxiety one actually was our one of our best uh, watched uh, episodes. I think because it is such a highly diagnosed condition in the area and people mm-hmm. don't really know the mechanics of it and what it means and you know, how you can deal with it and cope with it was also a fantastic one to bring out and talk about. Uh, we talked about burnout uh, at the workplace, which is also something that I'm willing to explore a bit more. Bringing mental health into workplace is important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two more topics that I'm going, I'm in the process of recording, which are also extremely important to talk about. I think we'll be breaking a lot of barriers talking about, which is menopause and mental health especially mm-hmm, in women, mm-hmm. in women, of course. And uh, the second one um, was mental health. And the other one, there's one other one that I really want to, which is mental health of elderly people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think yeah, this the, is a... Mm. The, the, those are all, um, as, as, as you said, those are all um, hugely important topics for society to be able to just talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I love that um, your podcast is is called Yalla Nahki because that's basically how you start um, mm-hmm. a therapy session, right? Uh, so right. so this is, uh, it's it's also very, um, it, you know, it makes it more accessible. It makes it more um, uh, understandable for, for, uh, for people who are curious. Um, so, um, so Tala, we're going to, you know, wrap this up, um, th- this conversation up. Um, and one of the things um, that uh, we like to do usually is get a sense of what lessons learned you've had throughout your journey. You are a social entrepreneur focused on mental health, on psychotherapy. Uh, what would you tell uh, young people who are exploring this particular sector and thinking about um, their own journeys, but hesitating because of the taboos that we talked about? Uh, the idea is that there's so many people out there that are willing to help, to actually be brave enough to reach out and ask for help, because uh, it can't be a single journey. It's a collaborative journey. Uh, I urge people not to make it about one person. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about uh, individuals. It's about the mission and what we're trying to reach towards. So I urge them to collaborate, to continuously collaborate with other people. Uh, don't make it, uh, don't try to be the jack of all trades. Uh, give, you know, there are some people who are experts in certain areas that you're not an expert in, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay to reach out and work with other people because the more we work together, the more holistic the service is. And I think it will serve our mission more and more. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Tala, for sharing um, your story, uh, for um, giving our audience um, a glimpse into the um, mental health space um, in Jordan and uh, the MENA region. And we hope to see you in Amman 
and continue the conversation. And good Thank luck with everything. Thank you so everything. much. And I look forward to seeing you in person and hopefully one day maybe host you on my podcast to talk about discussing mental health on yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, Tala. Thank you so much, guys. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Mm-hmm.